What shall we do with an epiphany we cannot explain? This is the last of our series, number four in this series. Today we have an epiphany we cannot explain. And Jesus was transfigured. He's transfigured before their eyes. Something happens to him physically before their eyes. I don't know, did you use the word transfigured in your home this year? Did ever that come up in your conversations with young or old? Jesus is transfigured. Something happens to him. Something changes. It's an epiphany, a manifestation. It's God's self-revealing of God's self, what God intends to do through this man, Jesus, reconciling all creation back to God. They have a moment with God on this mountain, and it's called the transfiguration. And Jesus was transfigured. This is an epiphany story that's recited in Christian tradition in world, worldwide in churches all around the world, not stopping for this story, for many traditions, would be as offensive as not stopping for the baby in Bethlehem. So that year by year by year, they read the same awkward, challenging story, and Jesus was transfigured. Jesus is transfigured. What shall we do with this? Well, this is one of the times when the original languages are actually useful. Once in a while, Greek is a good thing. This is a day. Metamorphosis is the word. We know that word, right? Metamorphosis. Now, that's a word we know. Even before we knew the word, we were catching the caterpillars in our yards and putting them in jars and watching them go through their stages and become more and more beautiful. Now, this is a word we can understand. Processes of distinct changes often usually becoming more and more beautiful. Metamorphosis. Jesus went through a metamorphosis on the mountain that day. Now, maybe we understand Jesus was changed right before their eyes. His face is shining like the Mediterranean sun and his clothes are white, dazzling like bleach, the storyteller tells us. Jesus metamorphosed in front of them. Moses and Elijah appear. We have two from the Hebrew Hall of Fame who take their place in the story. There is no explanation how dead men can talk. How dead man can now join this scene with Jesus, Peter, James, Peter, and John, and and, and uh, together they look up, and uh, a bright light, a voice. This is my son, in whom I'm well pleased. This is when Peter, you have to do something. When you don't know what to do, we usually say something and try to do something. Yes. Someone comes to your house, if we don't know what to do, we at least try, we say something, we'll come in. Well, let me build you a dwelling place. It might sound strange to you and I, but this would be a very common suggestion. How do we honor these guests from our Hebrew Hall of Fame? Well, let's make them a place to get them out of the sun. Let's build them a dwelling so they might decide to stay a while. Let's take care of them. So while they are doing this, this is when the loud, cloud, the loud voice and the cloud overshadow and they hear that bellowing voice. They know this voice. And the voice says the exact words we heard last week when we were at the Jordan River. This is my beloved son in whom I'm pleased. 
This causes the disciples to fall to their feet. The text says they fall out of fear. The word is phobia. You'll remember when the Magi were present and they fall in front of the crib of the babe Jesus, they fall overwhelmed with joy. But the disciples in this text, they fall overwhelmed with fear. And this is when Jesus leans in and touches them and tells them not to be afraid and that it's going to be okay. And before you know it, Elijah's gone, Moses is gone, the disciples look up and the text said, well, it's really only Jesus now. And, and it's over. The dead men are gone. The face glowing like the Mediterranean sun is gone. The bright, white, dazzling garb is gone. And they leave the mountain back to the valley below, and the regularness of life reemerges. Well, that was a something. I'm assuming they want to talk about it, but Jesus says to them on the way down the hill, don't say a word. And they're off to their lives again. They come back to the valley below, and here's someone who needs a healing. It happens to be someone with some kind of epileptic physical problem with their body. And they heal that person. Jesus heals that person. And, and then the tax collectors come. Yes, it's April 15 for Jesus, too. The tax collectors come. And they go and fish and get the coin and pay their taxes. And, and they move and they keep going and they keep going. Their regular life reemerges. But these men are alive to tell the tale. Something happened on that mountain, even though they're now in present tense time. What happened? The mountain is over, but is it really over? The story won't be remembered now for decades until Peter, an old man, recites and tells his tales. And when Peter, as an old man, attempting to help new Christian communities, says, ah, but we saw God once. Yeah, we were on a mountain. Second Peter, he recites it this way. We witnessed the majesty with our own eyes. He received honor and glory from God the Father, Jesus, when a voice came to him from the magnificent glory saying, this is my dearly loved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. We stood with an, epi an epiphany. We, something happened, a manifestation of God, God revealing God's very self. We, we don't know exactly, but, it re but really, I'm telling you, that day God showed up on the mountain. The old man Peter remembers the tale. They write it down. The transfiguration of Jesus. What do we do with an epiphany? We don't understand. So we call this a Christological moment. And the thinkers and the theologians through the ages have helped us think about this. Clearly, on the mountain that day, this manifestation is God's confirmation that Jesus is someone other than human. Jesus is divine. The approval of the heavens comes to earth, and in this Jesus we see now a Christ. There's an endorsement. There's a moment, a manifestation, not unlike when the Magi bow at the crib, not unlike when the voice came from the River Jordan, not unlike when, when the, the, the curtain is torn in two on the cross when Jesus cries out and the soldier confirms, surely this must be a man of God. This is a Christological confirmation. It's, a, it's what we needed to know, that Jesus isn't like the rest of us. And this is what we do with this story in Christian tradition. This is how we know Jesus is Christ, because God showed up that day. Remember, we heard his voice from heaven. 
And then often, church, we tuck away these truths and we keep moving. In our tradition, we lean very heavy on the cerebral side of things. Am I telling the truth? Now, I'm a child of this church, a child of this denomination. We lean rather heavy on the critical thinking side of things. The left brain is very engaged in the Adventist tradition. We lean heavy on thinking carefully and talking clearly. And then we begin to put our thoughts together and organize them. And when we organize them, now we understand what we believe and we create doctrines and beliefs and creeds. And it is good to know what we think we know. Because some days we wake up and say, what do we think about that again? Oh, good, we've already thought that through. It is good to know what we think we know. And, and, sometimes we simplify these scenes in Scripture in just this way. We know what we know. The transfiguration tells us Jesus is really Christ. We tuck that truth away. We come down the mountain. We pay our taxes. We get our dinner, and we move on. And, and, Christian disciples can be like tourists. More than one author has compared Christian disciples to tourists. Imagine we enter the great cathedral in Paris We're in the Notre Dame, and instead of looking at the the vaulted ceiling and the rose-stained glasses, we are like tourists who run around from placard to placard reading descriptions of what we're looking at. When all the while, we could stand in front of the rose-colored glasses. Christian disciples can become like tourists. Sometimes we simply need to stand with a story we can't explain and let it be. This is difficult work. Sit with a story we cannot fully understand and allow for it to disturb us, Fred Craddock says. Allow for the disturbing consequences to move us. What happened on that tr- the mountain that day, it's more than truth to be memorized and recited in our baptismal vows. It's more than lyrics we sing, Sabbath by Sabbath by Sabbath. What happened on that mountain that day, it's more If we listen carefully to what they said of this scene just a couple, three decades later, the second Peter storytelling, we will notice already within just a few years, they've forgotten part of the story. For when Peter says, we were all there and the light and the voice and the thing happened and the cloud and and it said this, it said, this is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. And there's a part of the verse that's missing Listen to him. When Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us the story, listen to him. But just a few years later, when they're remembering that day, the listen to him has evaporated. I'm interested in that. Listen to him. The voice from heaven tells all of us, listen to this man, Jesus. Listen to his words. Listen to his life. Listen to the rhythm of his movements. Can you hear it? Can you see it? Listen to him. Don't memorize him. It's easier to talk about Jesus than to talk about what Jesus talked about. 
We've said this here before. I feel it in 2020 more than ever. It is easier to talk about Jesus than to talk about what Jesus talked about. It's easier to sing to Jesus than direct our energies to, towards those Jesus would heal. It's easier to have lectures and sermons than to get out of my seat and go be with the people with whom Jesus would find himself. This is my long developing thesis of as a child of the church and as a minister of the gospel now. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. We come week after week after week and sing these lyrics. But God said to us, and also listen to him. Listen to him. His teachings and his life are telling us something. And allow a metamorphosis to happen. Did you know that if a metamorphosis happens, your phobias just fall on the ground? Did you know if a metamorphosis happens, all of a sudden my fear falls out and the people I think I'm afraid of will soon become my dinner guests? This isn't the metamorphosis of Jesus alone. This is the metamorphosis of the community of Jesus. Church, there was power on that mountain. There is a power we can't understand and a power we can't explain and a power that's available to the body of Christ. It's a power that's available to the world God so loves. It's a power that brings on stages of growth and beauty and healing. On that mountain, God's reputation shines. The transfiguration of Jesus. We're tempted to dilute the gospel when we read this story. Annie Dillard is helpful to me, she says in her book, Teaching a Stone to Talk. She says of the transfiguration story that faith has turned tempered, perfunctory, and bored. She goes on to say this, of this particular epiphany. The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It's madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may awake someday and take offense. Or the waking God may draw us to where we can never return. She has my attention <laughs> Crash helmets. I've had this visual all week in my head. I never wear a straw hat. If I needed one for a party, I have it. Please don't invite me to a hat party. It's not my jam, but... Annie Dillard says, foolish. We should be wearing a crash helmet. Not because we're dangerous. Not because shalom can be used to damage people. We should be wearing a crash helmet because the power from the mountain is here today. Because the metamorphosis of that time is also in this time, she says. Who are you people who don't have your seatbelts on in church? Who are you people who don't have your seatbelts on as you walk around your neighborhoods and your homes? Who are you people who wear straw hats instead of shelter on your head? Who are you people? The metamorphosis is for the whole community. 
So when I think about church in 2020 and I am weary of all the studies and all the summaries and all the books, I realized in 2010 I preached a sermon that said, I am not going to read you any more summaries of the, on the blithe of the Christian church. It's depressing. It's downward. It's doomsday. We're not solving it. That was 2010, church. It is 2020, and the metamorphosis on the mountain is alive in the body of Christ. It's 2020, so now we visualize the world we're living in today. On my newsfeed this morning came this picture from Kenya. The locusts moving from Ethiopia to Somalia, eastward in Africa, supposedly the most dense infestation of locusts they've had in decades not to mention drought and flooding, right? Or two weeks ago when I was in New Zealand, the topic, the only topic as I flew over top of Australia, the only topic. I spent 10 days at camp meeting in New Zealand where the people's friends and family and homes, their stories were alive. 2020. Or the text message that came to my husband and myself on Wednesday night simply said this, shooting in an Amazon building, one dead, five to seven more injured. Mama, they told me I could go home from work now. Our Elisa, who happens to work in one of those Amazon buildings. They're looking for the shooter, but we're going home. Or the text message from our older daughter last night at 11 o'clock, One block from home, Mom, on 2nd Street, two people dead, helicopters flying. What is this world? Child, are you inside? No, I'm in the front. Child, go inside. This is our world in 2020. There has got to be something the Christian church can say to this world. When I'm moving around New Zealand, all they can say about the fires, all I ran into from Christian mouths, hear me carefully, I didn't talk to everyone, the conversations I ran into all sounded like this, well, we know it's the end. Well, we know there's going to be fires and earthquakes and famine. Well, we know, Pastor, don't we? Hallelujah, it's almost the end. There has got to be something more we can say to our hurting world. The metamorphosis from the mountain says there is healing power available today. I can say something more comforting and healing than you'll have to burn because it's the end of time. Well, it is the end of time, but it's been the end of time for a very long time. If you are alive today, these are your last days because we won't live forever. So what will we say, Christians, to the world? What will we say in this community about the power available on the mountain? Look at Google's year in review to situate ourselves very carefully in our world, in our country, 2019. They take the most searched for inquiry of the year. And that's the theme of their video.
not lost on me. People are searching for heroes. It ought not be lost on us. People are searching for an intervention. Personal, relational, communal, global. There has got to be something the body of Christ can say in this gap as we stand between the Mount of Transfiguration and the glorious moment when the Son of Man appears. There's got to be something more useful we can say. The church that sings about Jesus is the church that now lives life as Jesus in a broken world longing for redemption, friends. Heaven is not biased about its compassion for earth. We ought not be either. So as a church who's described ourselves as a church between two campuses in the 92505, We've said a lot the prior years about being a church between campuses and about being in the 92505. Maybe this is the year we need to think a little more about being a church. A church infused with metamorphosis power of the divine. A church infused with a longing and a desire to come alongside the broken world. A church that knows heaven is biased Heaven will always be in favor of the hurting. Maybe this is the year we allow God to grow us personally and collectively into something more, dig a little deeper, because there is power here for change. What do we do with an epiphany we can't understand? We simply stand before it and let it sink in, church. May this be our year to stand before that power. Amen, amen, amen.